Chapter thirty five of A Woman's War by Warwick Deeping. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty five. Dr. Little descended the stairs of Major Murray's house with the alert and rather furtive look of a man who has been for days subjected to the semi sceptical questions of interested relatives. Parker Steele had attended at the introduction of a third Miss Murray into the world. The whole affair had seemed but the ordinary yearly incident of the great, rambling, florid-faced house, whose windows appeared to have copied its owner's military stare. It was during Dr. Little's regency that Major Murray's wife had developed certain sinister symptoms that had worried the locum tenens very seriously. Concern for his own self-conceit, rather than concern for the patient, characterized Dr. Little's attitude towards the case. The professional spirit, when cultivated to the uttermost end of complexity, becomes an impersonation of the intellectual ego. A thin, acute-faced woman with sandy hair appeared at the dining-room door as Dr. Little reached the hall. This lady with the sandy hair and freckles happened to be the most inquisitive, suspicious, and irrebuffable of sisters that Dr. Little had ever encountered on guard over her brother's domestic happiness. "'Good morning.' "'Damn the woman.' "'Ah, good morning.' Miss Murray's attitude betrayed the inevitable catechization. Dr. Little followed her into the dining-room. "'And how do you find my sister-in-law this morning, Dr. Little?' Miss Murray had an aggressive, expeditious manner that disorganized any ordinary mortal's sense of self-sufficiency and vain repose. In action her hair seemed to become sandier in colour, her freckles more yellow and independent. In speech she reminded the locum tenens of a quick-firing gun whose exasperating detonations numbered so many snaps a minute. "'Mrs. Murray is no worse this morning. In fact, I can—' "'The temperature?' "'The temperature is a little above normal.' Dr. Little's distinguished air became ten times more distinguished. He articulated in his throat— and began to pull on his gloves with gestures of great finality. "'Did you notice that reddish rash?' "'It is our duty, Miss Murray, to notice such things. "'And the throat, it seems very red and angry.' "'A certain degree of pharyngitis is present.' "'Well, and what's the meaning of it all, Dr. Little?' "'Meaning, Miss Murray? Really?' "'There's a cause for everything, I imagine?' "'Certainly.' The problem? You admit, then, that there is something problematic in the case, Dr. Little. There is a problem in every... Of course, but in my sister-in-law's case, that is the matter under discussion. Pardon me, madam. It is impossible to discuss certain... My brother desires something definite. He was obliged to go to town today. I should prefer to give my opinion. Major Murray left instructions that I should wire to his club his club whether any definite conclusion had been arrived at the two disputants had been volleying and counter-volleying at point-blank range neither displayed any sign of giving ground or of surrender the scotch lady's voice had harshened into a slight rasp of natural gaelic dr little still fumbled at the buttons of his gloves his words very much in his throat his whole pose characteristic of the profession upon its dignity. 
"'It is quite impossible, Miss Murray, for me to discuss this case.' The thin lady's pupils were no bigger than pinheads, so that her eyes looked like two circles of hard blue glass. "'Very well, Dr. Little, I must telegraph to my brother that no conclusion has been reached.' "'Pardon me, that would be indiscreet.' "'To provide me with a solution.' the distinguished gentleman had completed the buttoning of his gloves i shall hope to see major murray in person to-morrow you shall see him dr little without fail the locum tenens conducted a dignified retreat fully aware of the fact that the sandy-haired lady believed him to be an ignoramus confound the woman how can i tell her what i think he reflected it seems to me that there is half a ton of domestic dynamite waiting to be exploded in that house. I hardly relish the responsibility. If matters don't clear in a day or two, I shall wire for Steele. It is his case, not mine. To a much-hustled man, whose temper had been chastened by a series of irritating incidents, the picture of a pretty woman smiling up at him from a neat luncheon-table revivified the more sensuous satisfactions of existence men who live to eat smoke and enjoy the curves of a woman's figure are in the main very docile mortals the savour of a well-cooked entree will dispel despair and bring down heaven dr little sat down with a grieved sigh unfolded his napkin and accepted miss ellison's sympathy as though it were his just and sovereign due he still had a vision of freckles and sandy hair and echoes of an aggressive voice that revived memories of the dame-school he had attended when in frocks. "'What a morning you must have had! It is nearly two. "'A delightful morning, I can assure you. "'Excuse me, Miss Ellison, the cover of that magazine you have been reading "'reminds me of a certain female's hair. "'Would you mind removing it from sight?' "'Is the memory so poignant?' "'Poignant?' and she has freckles the size of peas. Ugh! I wonder why it is that one's patients always seem to conspire against one by being mulish and irritating all on the same day. Something in the air, perhaps, poor man. Poor man it is, I assure you, when you have had a series of cantankerous old ladies to Blarney. I wonder if I might have a glass of sherry. Oh, don't bother, let me get it. As though the mere offer absolved him, from all further effort, Dr. Little sat still and fed, while Madge Ellison rummaged in the sideboard for the decanter. "'How much? A tumblerful?' She bent over him as she poured out the wine, the gold chain she wore dangling against his cheek. "'Thanks. Three fingers. How angelic a thing is woman!' "'Even when she has freckles and straw-coloured hair?' "'Forbear! Forbear!' "'Ah!' now i began to revive a little he drank the wine wiped his moustache and leaned back in his chair as though to reflect on the natural philosophy of life madge ellison entered into the system as a pleasing and satisfactory protoplasmic development to this bachelor who already showed a tendency to plumpness below the heart she was bracketed with good wine ninepenny cigars and well-cooked dishes a thing pleasant to look at, and pleasant, perhaps, to taste. "'How is Mrs. Steele?' Cutlets and new peas were pushed aside. Dr. Little helped himself generously to sponge custard. He 
his eyes fixed affectionately upon the dish. "'I am rather worried about Betty.' "'Worried?' The bachelor began to look sleek and happy. His outlook upon life changed greatly after a few magical passes with a spoon and fork. "'I wish you would go up and see her after lunch.' "'Anything to oblige a lady who can show no freckles. "'What is the woe, a cold in the head?' Madge Ellison had returned to her chair "'and was rocking it gracefully to and fro on two legs. "'She might have posed as a living metronome, "'marking the rhythm for the epicure's busy spoon. "'How frivolous you doctors are!' "'Dr. Little wiped a streak of custard from his moustache "'with his dinner napkin.' "'It is my hour of relaxation. "'Haven't you heard the tale of the two bishops "'who played leapfrog at the end of a church conference? "'But, to be serious, what are the symptoms?' "'She seems rather feverish and has a sore throat. "'I noticed something that looked like herpes on her lip. "'Herpes, eh? Will she let me see her? "'I'll run up and ask. "'Thanks. Is the paper reposing anywhere? "'Oh, don't bother. On the window sill? "'Thanks. Much obliged.' and he propped the paper against the decanter, and so consoled himself with the happy facility of a bachelor. Betty Steele, in a richly laced dressing-jacket, was sitting up in bed, with Persian Mignon in her lap. "'Bring the man up, dear, if it will give you any satisfaction. Any news in the town?' Madge Ellison sat down and chatted for five minutes, while the cat purred under Betty's hand. "'I saw Kate Murchison in Castle Gate this morning.' "'Alone?' "'No, being convoyed by the canoness.' Betty Steele's mouth curved into a sneer. "'A most respectable connection. Did you see any blue ribbon about?' "'You are rather hard on the poor wretches, Betty.' "'Am I?' And she gave a short, sharp laugh. "'Every woman sides with her husband, I suppose. "'You might rub some scent on my forehead, dear.' Dr. Little finished a cigar and yawned in turn over every page of the paper before ascending to Mrs. Betty's room. Madge Ellison opened the door to him. His shoulder brushed her arm as he entered, quite the professional agag where the patient was a woman and under fifty. Dr. Little remained some fifteen minutes beside Mrs. Betty's bed. His air of lazy refinement left him by degrees, giving place to the interested and puzzled alertness of the physician it was the curious nodular swelling on parker steel's wife's lip that led him to discover glandular enlargement under her round white chin hair falling out at all he asked casually why refer to a woman's one eternal woe no oh, nothing and he smiled a little stiffly the throat is sore is it not yes turn to the light please open the mouth wide and say ah hm yes rather inflamed and dr little after moving his head from side to side like a man peering down the bowl of a pipe drew back from the bed his eyes fixed momentarily on betty steele's face with peculiarly intense stare i'll send you up a gargle for the throat thanks i shall be all right for saturday i suppose i hope so it is the last rehearsal i must not miss it "'Have you heard from Dr. Steele today?' Betty was holding Mignon's head between her two hands, and looking into the cat's yellow eyes. Something in the intonation of Dr. Little's voice seemed to startle her. 
she glanced up at him with a questioning smile i expect him back in a week or so madge get me that letter dear i think he said next wednesday is there anything little had moved towards the door i only wanted to know the date i promised some months ago to do some locum work for an old friend this week betty had glanced through her husband's letter she laid it aside when dr little had gone and took mignon back into her lap that man's worried about something madge she said worried not a bit of it dear why not it's not in the bachelor nature to worry provided food is plentiful and work slack pins wouldn't prick him they're selfish beasts i thought you liked the man madge the men we flirt with dear are not often the men we marry meanwhile dr little had descended the stairs looking as serious as any middle-aged demigod who had been snubbed by a schoolgirl he crossed the hall to parker steel's consulting-room took out a bottle containing tabloids of perchloride of mercury from the cabinet dissolved two in the basin fixed in one corner of the room and sedulously and carefully disinfected his hands how the devil this meditative exclamation appeared to limit the gentleman's reflections for the moment he stood with bent shoulders staring at his hands soaking in the rose-tinted water like some medieval wiseacre striving to foresee the future in a pot of ink. End of chapter 35